Living a life of intention starts within. Dora and I are excited to help you find the path to co-mindfulness living through our co-mindfulness masterclass. Our seven co-mindfulness principles will take you on a remarkable path towards health and happiness. For more information and to sign up for the masterclass, visit comindfulnessproject.com. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Today's guest on Health Gig is Dr. Gigi Meineke, and we are talking about all things oral health. Dr. Meineke is going to break it down for us today and explain the why behind oral health and the importance of regular checkups. But she's also going to spend some time giving us some pretty important tips on how we can keep our teeth as white as they can be. Something that's really special about Gigi is she's not only probably the best dentist in the world, but she is also Dora's and my friend and our own personal dentist. We love her. So that's just full disclosure, right? We love Gigi Meineke. It's so nice of you to say that. Thank you. We want to know how you decided to become a dentist, but we need you to start from the beginning because we know you've had this very interesting, amazing life. And we want to know where you're from and about your family and then how you transitioned all that and became a dentist. So I grew up in New Jersey second-generation American, so first in my family to go to college. So I knew when I was getting ready to go to college that I wanted to do something in healthcare. And since it was healthcare that I was interested in, I decided to go into nursing. And I must say, though, that my parents were very supportive. And my father had said something to me like, why don't you just go to medical school? Which I thought was fabulous because it was a time when that wasn't mainstream for females. So I went to nursing school at a college, a four-year university. As I was there, I had friends, my girlfriends too, were saying to me, you know, why why don't you just go to medical school? And, you know, I really didn't have a good answer. And even one of my girlfriends said, yeah, but if you go to medical school, you don't get to wear those cute little hats. And, you know, (laughs) because that was back in the day when we wore those cute little hats. So as I was in nursing school, I realized that I wanted to continue. It wasn't because nursing was a bad choice for me. To this day, I absolutely love my nursing career. In fact, during COVID, I did that crazy thing where I did whatever amount of hours I needed to do to reinstitute my nursing license back in Massachusetts to my husband's concern that, Gigi, you're not going to do something stupid, like go up there and volunteer during this COVID. So it was a great career, but I didn't want to stop. I started rooting around and thinking, maybe I'll go into medicine because I really liked ICU and CCU, that sort of thing. I thought, maybe I'll do that. But then ultimately, I realized For me, the type of lifestyle I wanted to pursue and seeing firsthand in nursing school what medical students and medical doctors, the type of lifestyle they led, I decided I wasn't going to do that. So I started thinking about dentistry and we had a dentist growing up that my mom said, look, if you're thinking of going into dentistry, why don't we talk to Dr. Hubbard? So I went to Dr. Hubbard and said, you know, I think I'd like to go to dental school. And he said, Gigi, I think you'd be great. He was just so supportive. He said, I think you'd be fabulous in this. And he said, come in the back and see in the lab what we do. So I realized there was more to it than simply treating patients. There was this artistic part to it, which really resonated with me. And I thought I could pursue it and have a lifestyle that I wanted to achieve where I could have a family. And so the rest is history. I went to dental school at Boston University, and it was just the greatest experience. Practiced in Connecticut when I first got out because my husband was doing some training still in New Haven. And then we wound up here. 
Wow. You know, you really are an outstanding dentist. And hearing you with your nursing background, you look at things a little differently than a traditionally trained dentist would. You really understand the patient, I think. I think I definitely had an advantage when I got to dental school, being able to be so relaxed around patients, I guess, because I had practiced nursing too. And I was practicing nursing even my first year in dental school to try to subsidize my squalid lifestyle. But I think dentistry has evolved even more since I went to school because, like I said, I know I look at patients somewhat differently and I know I evaluate them slightly differently, but I also hear from my colleagues things they do too. But I definitely feel that nursing has held me in such good stead in my pursuit of dentistry, and I think my patients benefit from that. We definitely do. Can you talk to us about why oral health is so very important to our overall health? This has gotten so much attention lately, and I'm really glad to hear it because dentistry has always been that profession that people love to hate. So now we're finally out of the closet and we're talking about it. There's been a lot of good research. We've seen it through the years. I mean, even before the research came out, we would see patients come in, you'd see a presentation and you'd be like, I know that patient is going to come down with, or I can see the future for this patient. Or when people come in with really poor oral hygiene, you just worried about them because you knew that there would be some sort of comorbidity or additional problem. But the research now has come out and we know that cardiovascular disease has a major link, diabetes, major link. There's great associations that have been built. So we don't have the solid research that links it perfectly, but we know that you start to see these problems that occur in clusters. And one of the consistent things you'll see with, say, X disease is poor oral hygiene or periodontal disease or something like that. So it's really nice that it's finally out in the open. And so if you do have a patient and you see that they're having some sort of gum issues, you're able to talk to them about it. Is that right? And you were able to say to them, there could be something going on. Is that how it goes? I do, but I tread very carefully One of the reasons, at least we see in dentistry as to why people don't like coming to the dentist is they don't like to be lectured to. They don't like to be shamed. It's invasive. You're opening somebody's mouth. And oftentimes they'll open their mouths and you'll see things they've been hiding. There are many people that we know and love walking around us that have potholes and they're potholes that they can hide. And They often don't want to do things about them because they're ashamed to go in. So I don't like lecturing to people, but I will try to slowly start the conversation and move in the direction that tells them there's problems that could occur as a result of neglecting this. And I don't want to say it's 100% because I don't want people to think that, oh gosh, I'm missing two teeth and I haven't had those implants placed or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that have periodontal disease and they are missing teeth and they are starting to lose them and they're not taking care of them. They're not seeing a dentist. Things blow up. They have something taken care of and then they don't follow up with more treatment. So you can be perfectly healthy and you can have perfect dental health and still be missing teeth. So the problem is not really missing teeth. It's missing dental appointments. That's the problem and having someone taking care of you and seeing these issues as they crop up. 
Gigi, can you walk us through the steps on how best to care for our teeth and gums? I mean, what's the role of, say, diet or let's say you're a smoker? What's the best way to care for our teeth? It's so very basic. Dental disease is one of those things that is so totally preventable. And I'm living proof of that. Both of my parents wound up with dentures at early ages, in my estimation, like both in their 40s and 50s when they were losing teeth. And like to the point, I think my mom was almost fully without teeth by the time she died. We didn't have a lot of money growing up and we didn't get to see the dentist every six months. But my parents were such sticklers for brushing your teeth because they got to understand exactly what it was like to be a dentalist and to have to have false teeth. So it starts very basically at home with brushing. And from an early age, your child should understand that oral hygiene is kind of like washing your face. Yes, you do that every day. And it's really hard to get people to floss consistently because for some reason, I don't know how this got started, but patients seem to think that flossing is like an all or none thing and you have to do like a computer reboot. So like your cleaning <laughs> is your computer reboot. So like if I fall off the wagon now and I didn't floss for three days, okay, I'm done. Can't do anything now till my next cleaning. And it's not like that at all. So I say to people, just commit to two or three times a week. And when you start to do that, all of a sudden, if they do it consistently, they start to feel there's a difference in what their teeth feel like when they run their tongue around there. So we're onboarding them. So we move on after that and regular cleaning, seeing a dentist regularly. Gigi, how long do you brush your teeth for? It's supposed to be two minutes twice a day. If you can do that, that's great. And also, I don't understand why they sell those hard toothbrushes. I understand you can use them for tile grout. But you should never be using a really hard toothbrush because the bristles on them are so abrasive that you can wind up having gum recession. So you can have gum recession independent of periodontal disease. And people do this sawing motion and that ages your smile too. So once you start to see more tooth, so your gum starts to run away, that's a classically aged smile. And that part of the tooth that's normally safely tucked underneath the gum can often be a different color, slightly darker, unfortunately. And so you really start to have that aged look. Okay, we do not want that. <laughs> Heaven knows. I mean, what's all that Botox for if you're going to give in to the teeth, right? I mean, just forget it. Gigi, what about mouthwash? Now that they've come out with mouthwashes that are alcohol-free, I think that's really good. For years, they were trying to link rinses that had high percent of alcohol to oral cancers. We've never been able to establish that link. However, we do know that alcohol can diffuse through membranes, so it can alter some things. So I think it's best to not include that, but I believe the reason that there was a lot of alcohol in these is it acted as some sort of stabilizer for fluoride or that sort of thing. So you have to be careful. So if you're selecting a rinse just because you need a fluoride rinse or something like that, you need to look at the components that are in there. Fluoride is the only thing. I know people love it or hate it. And fluoride is one of those things that we know absolutely does work but it only works on the smooth surfaces of your teeth. So, you know, on the biting surface, you have all those creases and folds. Doesn't work there. Only works on the smooth surfaces. But that's great because one of the smooth surfaces that often gets a cavity is the smooth surface that exists between the teeth where they touch each other. So that's a smooth surface. So it's really helpful to have a fluoride rinse. But again, just be careful of the amount of 
alcohol in it. But fluoride's the only component that I can say to you is a definitive. I know that they've come out with in recent years, a lot of antimicrobials and we're revisiting that just like they did in hand soap because we don't know now if we're starting to get superbugs as a result of using some of these antimicrobials. And you and I recently had a conversation about teeth whitening. So what do you recommend? Yeah, it's such an easy thing because these are available over the counter. I happen to love the Crest White Strips, love them. But you can't be a Gigi Meineke and use them like I use them. So you have to use them the way they're supposed to be used. And that is you're supposed to use them every day consecutively for something like seven days. The reason I got really sold on these is when we were doing that whole light contraption and, you know, the two hours in the chair, it was a torture chamber. I had patients that had come in from other practices or whatever, and I'd just be doing an exam and you can tell when teeth have been whitened. And so I'd look and say, oh, you had your teeth whitened. And I had people say, no, I used the white strips. And that sold me because it's the least expensive way to start. You have complete control over it. You can get them when your dental office is not open. So that's great. And they're inexpensive. So I think we always start there. But is there any downside to whitening your teeth? Like, does it eat away at your enamel or anything? No. So there's no side effects. So there can be side effects, but not some sort of long-term adverse event that we know of. And we've had white strips around for probably over 20 years. But the way it works is the enamel on your tooth is sort of like if you took, you know, that interior roll for paper towels, you know, that little cardboard thing. So if you stacked a bunch of them and you could look through the holes, that's the way your enamel looks microscopically. So you see all these holes and that's what kind of gets clogged up and it should, you know, it's like it's in your mouth. It gets clogged up with all kinds of goodies and not so goodies. But over time, that stuff picks up stain. So what happens is the way the bleach works is it's just hydrogen peroxide. It sits on there and hydrogen peroxide is a superoxal. So that means it'll effervesce things and it kind of bleaches it. So over time, that's what it does. So it doesn't go in and creep into your tooth and do something nasty. However, I will say this, that all of the tooth whiteners, all of them say on them that you should make sure you've had a dental exam before you start using them to make sure you don't have any fillings that are broken because people walk around with broken fillings all the time and don't realize it because there's no discomfort or whatever with some of these. So if you have a opening and you can get that hydrogen peroxide deep into the tooth and get through the enamel and penetrate to the next layer, which is the dentin, you can definitely have a potential adverse event from that and it can affect the nerve long-term. So you just want to make sure that you've seen your dentist and that you've talked to them about doing the teeth whitening and then you're good to go. Yeah. And hopefully all dentists would be on board with you doing that. I know my colleagues in the Academy of General Dentistry and in the American Dental Association, we're all on board with that. We know that they're effective. What about the role of saliva in oral health? Because we read a lot about that and people having dry mouth or people that might have compromised health. What about saliva? Saliva is in your mouth. It's kind of like the motor oil in your car. It does a lot of things. So it cleans, it lubricates. And it protects in a lot of ways. So one of the things your dentist is doing every time they look in your mouth, and you don't know this because we're just doing this part of our world. Whenever your mouth is open, we're looking to see how much saliva you produce. And we're making sure that it's enough. Oftentimes, you can just stick your gloved hand in somebody's mouth. And if you touch the interior of the cheek, 
if you're astute, you can see that your glove is slightly sticking to the interior of the cheek and you know that somebody's got a low salivary flow. So saliva's got lots of good things in it. Now it's largely water, but it's got some minerals in it too. So for instance, how does a cavity form? So you have something to eat. It sits on your tooth. There's bacteria that sit in your mouth. And if you just happen to have those bacteria that are the ones that are causing cavities, when bacteria eat the substrate, which is the food that you've eaten, if it's just sitting there on your tooth, they start to have a meal. And then as they digest that meal, they produce acid. And then the acid is what actually starts to dissolve your tooth. So if you have enough saliva, your saliva has a pH of around seven, which is neutral. It can buffer that. It can wash it away and it can remineralize all those areas that are starting to form cavities. So saliva is important in that regard. It's also important because you probably know if you've ever had dry mouth that if you have something to eat that might be sharp, we call them French bread injuries or Dorito injuries. You see like a split or a cut or something like that inside your mouth. And if you don't have saliva coating that, you can get infected. So it's got that protective mechanism too. Also, it washes off your tongue. And we know that there's these things called volatile sulfides. And those volatile sulfide compounds sit on the back of your tongue. And when you speak, the air rushes over that tongue. And those are the things that are really stunky. <laughs> That's what makes you stinky. Yeah, bad breath. So if those sulfide compounds get to sit on there without getting washed away, that's why people with dry mouth tend to get really stinky breath. But it's a very easy thing to fix too. You just drink more water. Just keep drinking water. I'd also like to interject here if I could that People come into the practice, and I'm sure I'm not unique, and they'll say, you know, I know I have bad breath. Do I have a tooth problem? If you can rule out that it's not teeth, and often if people are taking care of their teeth, it probably isn't, you can rule out that they have plenty of salivary flow. The next item off the chart that you need to tick is, do they have postnasal drip or do they have some sort of gastric reflux? So those are two really common causes that are not dental in origin for why people would have bad breath. So on to another thing. What about plaque? Tell us about that. So plaque is a bunch of stuff that's probably in a liquid in your mouth, and it's just components of their structures or substrates in there that start to adhere to a smooth surface. So it's just an accrual of stuff, and it doesn't necessarily have to be food debris. Ultimately, it starts to collect that if you don't brush your teeth. But all the time, you have a thin layer of biofilm that sits on your teeth, the whole interior of your mouth. But plaque tends to be an accrual of minerals and that sort of thing, and they start to build up on your teeth. People know that that lower front segment of your mouth on your lower jaw, you tend to get a lot of buildup there. And we believe the reason is, is because you have such a pool of saliva that sits there, just promotes adhesion of that. So that's the stuff that builds up. And then when we come to the dentist, you scrape off. And then I guess you're scraping that off so that a cavity can't form. So it's interesting. I saw a lecture, I don't know, I want to say five or six years ago now, there's a salivary expert on the West Coast and he does research and it's really interesting. And I've watched this in my practice for years. There tends to be two different people. There tends to be the plaque builders and the cavity creators. 
And if you have somebody who gets a lot of plaque, it's really bizarre. I would see for years that if they had a lot of plaque, they didn't get cavities and vice versa. And you were like, just confounded, you know, pulling your hair. Like, how the heck does that happen? Like, they have all this plaque and they're not getting cavities. Well, it turns out that I learned that to build plaque, your salivary pH, which is normally hovering around seven, is probably more basic. So it's probably a number slightly higher than seven. And it makes sense then, too, that the opposite is true, that if you have somebody who gets a lot of cavities, they tend to be on the more acidic side. And that makes sense because the bacteria, like I said, are producing the acid. But they're both bad. They both can wind up with tooth loss. And thank goodness we don't tend to see both of them in great numbers in that center of that Venn diagram. So Gigi, with COVID-19, what kind of protocols have you had to put into place? How has that affected your practice? If I can be perfectly frank with you, dentists were pretty unhappy that we were deemed essentially unessential. We've had an uphill climb trying to get people to feel good about coming to the dentist. We've done everything, pulled out every trick in the book to try to make people comfortable coming to the dentist. So I think we have, over the years, minimized why things are important. And when we call something routine, that doesn't mean it's dispensable. Like routine care doesn't necessarily mean it's dispensable. So because of the fact that we create aerosols when we drill teeth and little is known about the burden of the bacteria that exist in those aerosols, I believe that's why the CDC and OSHA decided just emergency treatment only. I would like to say this, that as of, I think just two weeks ago, the Health Policy Institute came out and said that less than 1% of dentists have contracted COVID. So that says that's kind of like around general population. So that would I think, say that we have not placed ourselves at great risk because of the protocols that we've had for years. I mean, I said to people, when's the last time you went to a dermatologist prior to COVID where they were wearing gloves and a mask when they treated you? But every single time in dentistry, we've done that. When you look at the initial outbreaks, they were never in a dental office. They were always in the meatpacking or the nursing home sort of environments. So Be that as it may, we've had an incline to try to get people to trust us again. In fact, I still have patients in my practice that aren't ready to come back. And I think that's okay to a point, but we're now rounding the corner. This is going to be a year. So with respect to some of the things that we do routinely that patients have no regular appreciation for, and I don't mean appreciation that we want to be thanked, we do things without mentioning to the patient. It's part of our clinical exam is we're looking for oral cancers and oral cancers happen on the most unlikely individuals and the demographic is going down lower. We're seeing it in 18-year-old men. So that's one of the things that we look for every six months. And we're in dentistry very concerned about individuals that are not getting caught in that regular routine because when you're 18 years old, at least when I was 18, I knew nothing was coming to get me. I was invincible. And I think that's common. I'm sad that that's not happening. But in response to COVID, to get to your question, Doro, is what we've done is a number of things. We've followed all the CDC guidelines from the very beginning, from when we started seeing patients. And even when we were seeing patients on an emergency basis only, we suddenly were wearing 
the big dinosaur suits, you know, Karen, my assistant and I look like Teletubbies in ours because now, you know, with PPE being at a premium, I mean, you know, the size of us, Karen and I are not exactly Vikings. So there we are with our triple X PPE wrapped three times around total sheaths. Some individuals are wearing masks, the face mask shield, in addition to like a N95 or a level three mask. So I use loops with a light on them. So I tend to use just the mask plus the loops, but some people will wear the face shield. Having practiced nursing when AIDS first came about and we had no idea how it was transmitted, I don't want to sound like I'm cavalier, but I'm trusting in my usual protocol for how I treat patients because yes, from the patient's position, they're concerned, but this is something I've chosen to do every day of my life. So I certainly want to be protected. Yes, I would feel just miserable if I transmitted it, but obviously I have people I go home to every night, people that I love and in very tight quarters, and I don't want to get them sick either. So we take this in dentistry really seriously. So we've done all the PPE stuff. And now the new thing too is we clean the waiting room between patients, which was never part of the protocol. We've done little mechanical things that the CDC has advocated. So we had actually a new vent put in our hallway. All of our treating rooms face into the central hallway. So as per CDC guidelines, we have directional fans. So we have fans in every single room pointing not to the patient or to myself to push air out into the hallway. So it's eventually pulled into the system and then exported out into the general air. So we've done that. And then the other thing is, and I know other offices are doing this too, they're trying to decrease the amount of patient flow that we have. What I've done is everybody gets an hour, just made it easy. Most of my patients would take 20 minutes to 45 minutes and we schedule an hour. So we try not to have too much overlap. Plus that gives us a little bit of wiggle room if we have an emergency patient, which needs to be fit in somewhere in that schedule. Patient comes in, they're screened with temperature and the usual questions. And I have had occasion to send somebody home, not because anybody came here with a fever, but just because early on they had been to a hot spot. And we just said, look, you know, it's a cleaning, it's not emergency. So why don't we just wait 14 days at that time? So those are some of the things that are in place. And I'm sure other offices are doing similar. I really appreciate your comment about how essential dentistry is. And I had no idea that you all check for oral cancers and things like that. And that really is important not to miss those checks. There are things that patients have no idea. And I'm so pleased that you picked that up, Doro, because we're looking at the full body. So for instance, when you lie back in the chair, whether you're wearing a dress or pants, I can see your ankles. I'm looking for swollen ankles. So I'm looking for compromise. I learned a trick years ago from another dentist who said, look, when you look down at that patient's feet and they have laces, you'll see where they tied. If the lace is tied in the center, they have a lot of flexibility and mobility. If they have to sort of sit cross-legged to tie their shoe, then the lace is tied more toward the center. So these are all kinds of little things that we're looking at. We look at the color of your mucosa, the skin that lines the interior of your mouth. Usually you can see this immediately. You know if somebody's going through chemo or something like that because the color gets much lighter. 
There's certain hallmarks that we see for somebody that might have diabetes. So we're picking all of these up and we learn as we go too. Like I just love that through my 30 plus year career, I've been able to see patterns. And now I actually question people for other things because I see their physiognomy and I see the medications they're on. And so I can have more probative questions to try to help them along. So Gigi, what do you see for the future of dentistry? When Dora and I were preparing for today, we were thinking, wow, you know, back when we were younger, there wasn't a Visalign. Now it just seems that there's so many options. What's out there that you think is going to be pretty exciting that's going to change people's worlds? I think not just 3D printing will change the way we do things in dentistry, but I think the dentist is going to be more a part of the total health team. So we're going to be doing salivary testing for all kinds of diseases and not necessarily dental diseases. Dentistry is also going to take more of a role in vaccines. And for that, I really appreciate that patients are going to finally have a place that they can come to, that they will understand there's nobody sitting out in the waiting room when they arrive there that is coughing and sneezing and wheezing. So it will be a really nice port of entry for individuals that may have had some concerns about going to the local medical office. So dentistry is going to get wider and deeper because of, like you said, the 3D printing, which now dentists can make their own Invisalign trays in their offices. We've been doing, as you probably know, the CAD-CAM crown creation. You can do that in your office. I see a lot of that in dentistry's future. But like I said, I think dentistry is starting to go wide, and I think it's about time. Definitely. God, Gigi, this has been amazing. This has been so informative and so reassuring, really. And we appreciate your leadership in the important world of dentistry. And I think this is going to encourage people to go see their dentist. And the one other pitch I will give for dentistry too, and I say this regularly to my patients who are middle-aged or approaching older age, and they're starting to have problems where a tooth just has disintegrated because they had a crown on it and broke or whatever, and they start losing teeth. I say to them, look, what's the thing we all do when we're old and we're retired? We all get together and eat. And once you start losing your teeth, and you don't have enough teeth to feel comfortable eating in front of other people, now you've pulled yourself out of society. And we all know what happens when you pull yourself out of society. You just start that massive decline, and it takes you away from the people you love. So don't just think of teeth as something that's pretty and something that gives you a beautiful smile. Think of it as your way of maintaining your ability to go to Thanksgiving, to go to all the different holidays, and then to go to your four o'clock early bird special with your <laughs> your significant other. So I would put that in as a pitch for dentistry long-term as well. Well, thank you, Gigi. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. To learn more on how to live a co-mindfulness life, visit comindfulnessproject.com.